You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has ever been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. If we haven't met, I'm Patrick, one of the pastors here. It is a pleasure to be with you all this first Sunday of Advent. Um, I'm curious how many of you grew up in a home or tradition that observed Advent. Uh, for those who just kind of raise their hands, I'm wondering, this is not a rhetorical question, so you're going to have to use your, your loud voices, but what does Advent mean to you? James? Was that? Anticipation? Anticipation? Patience? Hope? Anybody else? What does Advent do for you, I'm wondering? What was that, Brandy? A chocolate a day to the glory of the Lord. I didn't even know about that tradition. Wow. We need to talk. Somebody's cheated me. Uh, Anybody else? Well, it sounds like you know, for me, I did not grow up in a tradition that observed Advent. We Baptists like to go our own way. Uh, yeah. And uh, so it's been the last, I would say, eight or so years that Advent has become uh, a part of my, my faith tradition and my observances. And I'm really thankful for it. Uh, I could be more thankful. I need to talk to you about this chocolate thing. Because uh, for me, it, it's, it's been this story of, of, of kind of acknowledging this, this lead up to Christmas, right? Uh, so for me, it was like Thanksgiving, and then there was like Christmas Day. Uh, and everything in between was just like how much Christmas music we could listen to uh, so we could get to Christmas Day and open presents. And... As in these last few years, as, as Advent has come into my life, it's been, it has enriched this time of waiting, and I didn't know how much I needed it. Uh, particularly this year, it, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's hitting me kind of square in the chest. Um, I'm receiving Advent this year as a bit of a balm. There's like so much going on in the world. Uh, I've talked to a lot of you, and so I know this is resonant because I know that 
there's quite a bit of you who, are, who have been feeling um, even a level of depression, a level of weariness, a level of kind of existential dread of sorts with all the things that are happening in our world. Uh, I didn't use as much temperance and prudence as I probably should have last week as I was looking at some of the images coming out of, of Gaza and uh, displaced families and broken apart families, loved ones lost. It's just devastating. I was on a call this week about the migrant families here in our city uh, and the conditions that they're living in in some of these shelters. Uh, and what was extremely heartbreaking was not just that they were in these shelters, but I'll tell you, it, it, it at times feels a little hopeless what we can do to like help. Because like everybody's underwater, like churches, nonprofits, the government, like no one really knows what to do. And these people are like stuck. And that's not even to say, to even speak of home, right? Uh, I think of what it would, what it would ha have to happen to make me gather my, my wife and son and walk hundreds and thousands of miles to get to a place to, to sit in a shelter lacking in hot food, to be displaced from home. You can kind of see where I'm coming from. Like it's, it's been a heavy... It's been a heavy couple of weeks, and so uh, Advent has been perfect timing because I have to admit, as I'm on the, all these calls, I'm engaging in all this work, as I'm being awakened to all this brokenness happening in the world, I can't help but feel like, if I'm really honest, and maybe this is not the pastor thing to say, but it feels like God is kind of eerily silent. Like, where, what are we doing here? And it wouldn't be the first time that he was kind of eerily silent. Uh, there is a uh, long-standing, every good Bible, st Bible college student uh, of a certain age knows this joke where they would ask you back in the days where we had paper Bibles, what's the longest page in the Bible? Anybody? It's the blank one in between the Testaments. Thank you, wife. <laughs> well, that's a ride or die. Uh, <laughs> we would joke about that because, because this page, there was nothing on it. And that was kind of symbolic because between Malachi and the end of the prophets and to, to Matthew and the birth of Jesus, there's about 400 something years where the God who used to thunder from on high, who used to show up in the Ark of a Covenant, who used to lead people by fire and clouds, and who used to raise up prophets and holy men and, and women who would speak his truth, all of a sudden that's all gone. And it's silent. And for his people, there's like wars. First, the Hasmoneans come in, the Greeks. And then after the Greeks, in come the Herodians, and then the Romans. And they're just oppression after oppression. They're just holding on. They've been displaced for their home. 
And this God is eerily silent. Until he's not. God speaks and life breaks out. That's our teaching text today. I really want to focus on that first half of those first four verses of John and his gospel. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And I'll add verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In a place of eerily silence, war and oppression and heartbreak, the disruption of families and the loss of peace, God speaks and life is born. But that also wasn't the first time. Maybe you caught it as you listened to John and it brings you back to the beginning of this story, Genesis 1, where it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. The story, the story of God opens with a silent God and a violent world. The waters cover the deep and they're, they're untamed. There is no light. It's chaos. One translation calls it hopeless conditions. There's a hopeless condition to this world. And there's a God who's hovering over it. Silent but present. Silent but hovering. And I wonder for, you know, these, these first century Jews uh, who, who would hear these words and as, and as John writes his gospel and they receive it, and I think of the apostles in particularly who were with him. And when they read his gospel and they, and they think back to the stories of their youth and they think of those, de- that, that, those Genesis words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think about John as he writes this with his friends, fishermen. Like, what does bleak, formless waters mean to a fisherman who knows the sea? Who knows how dangerous it is to be out in a boat with crashing waves on their domain? I don't swim. So I don't really mess with that. (laughs) But I have watched some movies that tell me I'm making the right decision. (laughs) Because it's chaos in the waters. I watched a documentary about the Bermuda Triangle and like random 100-foot waves. And I think about 
these men as they read this and as they, and as they consider this idea of, of formless and shapeless and chaotic waters. And then a God who's hovering and they think about how these waters represent also their livelihood. They, they have to live in these harsh seas. And this brings up all sorts of things because as fishermen in this time, we, like, we can often think of, of, of this concept of, of the disciples, the apostles as fishermen and doing this kind of free enterprise. But that's not how it worked uh, in, this, in the ancient Near East. Fishing was a state-run business. They determined how much you could make, they taxed you heavily, what waters you could fish in and when. And so the waters is danger, but you have to be out there. And then there are these forces that even control how you can live in these chaotic waters. And I could imagine the weight, the weight that that must have brought that, to live that kind of life and all with a silent God until this Jesus shows up. And to be reminded of a God who hovers over their situation and the dangers of it and speaks a word, the word, and then this God puts all this chaos in its place. Psalm 104, it says this, and I love it. It says, he set the earth on its foundation. It can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the places you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. The God who hovers speaks and the waters find their place. Chaos is contained. The dry ground is exposed. This is, this is language that works on so many levels. It works to a spiritual reality. When we think about the chaos of our minds and our hearts and our emotions as we try to navigate the rough waters of being a human in relationship with others. And to think of a God who is hovering over your life and at a word he can speak and life can start to permeate. That the chaos of your, your heart and your mind can start to push back. But this is also speaking to the waters of, of our practical reality, the, 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 the powerful and how they can, can often place their boots on the neck of the oppressed the systems we often can live under, the ways in which man's inhumanity to man leads people to cross fields and valleys and languish in converted gems. Even to those waters, this verse speaks. That God is pushing back against the broken forces of this world that there is coming a peace for our bodies. It's interesting, Psalm 104 is, is 
very political in its, in its formation. It was, it's, it's written uh, really to, to counteract uh, the Egyptian sun god uh, Aten, uh, who was known to like, to like rule over uh, the, the dark and murky waters. And here the, the, the writers of the psalm is kind of saying, but there's a God who actually is above Aten. There's a God called Yahweh. And he's the one true God, and they're pushing back against these narratives that surround them. And I carry that with me as I think about Jesus and what Advent means, this waiting. And there's something about the Advent of Jesus that is political. That's very clear in Mark. Mark opens his gospel. He says this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Seems easy enough, but I, I want to read you something. There is a, uh, in Priene, there's a city, uh, and there was a, what was found was a tablet, and it was an, an inscription, a public notice that was placed uh, with Caesar Augustus, announcing that the Roman calendar would now start with Augustus's birthday. And, and at the end of this long uh, announcement, it says, since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good news for the world that came by reason of him. And so to a people who know rough waters for their livelihood, for their, for their societal conditions, in a place where it can may feel hopeless. How can I push back against these forces so much bigger than me? There comes a word. God speaks and the violence is forced back. The good news of Augustus who exacts his taxes and oppresses the, the Israelites, well, their God, his empire is coming. Jesus is the good news. And I think back to that Genesis picture, right? So after God speaks and after the waters found their place, there's, there's land, but it's just dirt. Uh, a few years ago, uh, my wife and I, we, we moved into this apartment. It was our first apartment as a married couple. And we were privileged enough to have this little plot of like, you know, it was probably no bigger than this table, but it was dirt. Um, and, and I remember we, I, I went out one day and we were like so excited and we were, just knew we were gonna be gardeners. And like, I like turned over the soil and it took me so long and I was sweating and I was like, this is too much. I live in New York, why am I turning over dirt? <laughs> and so then I just had this like tilled dirt in our backyard. And it was like useless. <laughs> we never put anything, you can't even plant stuff. You should be very careful of the dirt in New York City. We eventually covered it up with turf. But God does it. He pushes back 
the forces of evil, which gives us a breath. But then what he has uncovered, then he starts to grow it and to make life, all life. Listen to Genesis 2.5. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. So we have this, this kind of wet clay. Verse seven. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Early in Genesis 2, it actually says that God also took all of the birds of the air and all of the, the, the beasts of the land. They too were brought out of the ground. So everything that exists outside of these chaotic seas, God takes this dirt seemingly good for nothing, and he gives us every animal and bird that we observe. And then he takes it and he forms it. The story goes in the shape of a man and he breathes life, and this dirt now becomes the diadem of creation, humanity. I wonder what this means for people who feel powerless in the face of systems of power. Like what is the dirt to the sea? Deeply outmatched. But when that dirt gets the breath of life, it becomes a person who's able to conquer the sea. This word is life. This word is light. This word is our hope. For the next four weeks, ending on Christmas Eve with our, with our Christmas Eve gathering, we'll be observing Advent and Jesus, the word with us. And so maybe if you're like me in this Advent season and you're looking around and there's a sense of hopelessness at the chaotic seas that exist on the news and on your phones and on your streets. And if you were feeling like a God is eerily silent, I wonder if you would allow yourself to be placed back in the stories of those who were in a similar place. And could you take from them the hope that's found knowing that God eventually speaks? And even in our world, he will eventually speak. And when he does, the forces of evil, wherever they are found and whatever their names may be, will be pushed back. And what is left and what is exposed will be ripe for life. Abundant, glorious, beautiful, harmonious life. So as we begin this Advent season on this week of hope, it is the week of hope in a world dimmed by war and inhumanity, I just wanted to offer us a reminder of the hope of a Savior 
who is coming to place every current empire under his own and bring a life that will allow us to live it fully. I'll close our time with this. The prophet Isaiah foretold in, verse, in chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. He is the word of the Lord. Would you stand with me? I'm going to invite our, our prayer team up, and uh, I, I think the invitation today is if you are in a place where hope feels expensive, uh, these people have a little extra to share. And so I want to invite you to come and to just let them meet you in that place of emptiness and lack Whatever you are hoping for, maybe it's the end of all this conflict, maybe it's for the end of the conflict that you're about to walk into in a couple of weeks. Maybe it's your life and finances, I don't know what it is, but we would love to just speak the word over you. In the hopes that the word of the Lord and the ministry of Jesus will start to push back the violence of your life and you would start to see life flourish. And then we're also gonna sing because maybe you're standing on dry ground, like maybe you've got that life in your lungs and what a shame it would be to just keep it bottled up. And so this is why we sing and I'll invite you to lift your voices just to give praise to the one who gives us life, who give us his very breath. And then for all of us, we're going to come to the table. And as our communion servers come forward, we're, we're going to be reminded, we're gonna be reminded that as we wait there is a meal, a little snack to tide us over. This baby that we are celebrating in Advent, the first time he came, he came to die. The second time he comes, he comes to reign. So before we get to eat his full banquet, we are left with bread and the wine, the cup, as a down payment 
as a promise, as a reminder that he will stop at nothing and that death itself will not hold back his fulfilling our deepest hunger. So as you come to the table today and as you pray and as we sing, I pray that you would just set your sights on the hope of Jesus. And if you've never received the hope of Jesus, I would invite you to come and I would love to meet you over here and talk about it. There is hope to be had in this world. There is hope to be had. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to come to the table and, and we will respond to the one who speaks. Lord Jesus, blessed be your name, the word with us. We give you praise and honor and glory that in you, you bring forth life and you push back the darkness. Blessed be your name. Amen.